BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. talk this is your host alan this is an untapped and vinyl so you know what that means yes i'm here i'm i'm right now i'm actually adding something to my story about what we're doing you're on my story there alan oh sweet at monk on the radio so i don't know if uh, porch talk will get tagged or not how's it going dude it's good we got a plethora and we got a yeah a, a smorgasbord board I figured I'd do us a solid. Is it smorgasbord or board? Board. Board. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I never really thought about it before. Yeah. Well, dude, I feel like a rocket scientist over here. I got all these devices. (laughs) I'm unencumbered. Things are cooking. I'm unencumbered. (laughs) What do you want to start with? Um. Well, once you go with the heavy IPAs, you're you're gonna go. it's, you, your palate's going to be killed, so I say we start with the all day the session IPA because it's a one hop IPA from Founders. If I'm not mistaken, I haven't had one in a long time, but um, good solid beer, probably the lowest gravity of the bunch we got. I yeah. say next we go with the good people, and then we finish off with, with the, the crowd s- control, crowd control, the double IPA. Got a. For all you beer beer knots out there, uh, we got our right hand man monk here to help you be fluent when you go drinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't. Uh, yeah, six uh, four point seven. So it's a, a lower gravity IPA. The all day IPA from Founders definitely one that you could probably take to the the pool or the beach or something with you. You know, so you can you can drink all day with your buddies who drink the piss beer. <laughs> It's about as sad as a piss beer. <laughs> it's about what? It's about as sad as a piss beer. <laughs> it's uh, 4.7. That's not heavy. Mm. Not heavy at all. Not at all. Good name. Uh, Calling it the all day because you can drink them yeah, all exactly. day. Yeah, exactly. Well, perfect. I didn't even think about that. But that's, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, when I went looking for beer today, they didn't have what I wanted. I was wanting to get us some snake handlers, but you can't keep S- them things snake, in stock. Well, snake handlers are only available now. From good people out of Birmingham, it's only available twice a year. Used to, now it was a big thing when I was living in Tuscaloosa because it only came out once a year. But you could always find it in Tuscaloosa. 
over here in Mississippi, we have a, tougher, a tougher time. I tell you, last time I went over to Starkville, um, they came to, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Pints and Pizza and Pints or whatever, yeah. Boartown. Yeah, yeah. Great pizza, too, by the way. But uh, good people had taken over over there the night before, so I went over there and took me a couple glasses of uh, Snake Handler down. <laughs> so... You have to, man. Do a little catch-up, man. How you been? I've been good, man. I've been been doing very well. Recovering? Staying low, recovering. Yep. Um, It just seems like, uh, you know, just a lot of people that we know have been really having some uh, health issues and are have passed. Yes, yes. Um, We'll say a good farewell to my buddy, Elliot, one of the um, original Mm -hmm. owners of Druid City. One of the founders of Druid City Brewing Company. Yeah, I mean, when I when I heard the news, man, I was just I was shook. I mean, his brother called me like four hours before. I had no idea. Last time I saw Elliot, he was thinner, you know. And I thought, man, he's lost some weight, you know. But heck, I mean, there's all kind of reasons we lose weight, you know. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It was a really crazy. He called me the day of, and then five hours later, he was gone. I was like, wow. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, say goodbye, nothing. It's been a while since I'd spoken with him. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely um, his father, Tom, and his mother, and his brother, Brian, and, just, and sister, and just, you know, my my heart is with them because they're great people, beautiful people. Yeah. And shout out to uh, Druid City Brew, and they are officially in the new building. Yes, they are. Have you been to it yet? I have. Uh, Bo has given me the tour yeah. three times. Yeah. And like, uh, I've been the tour about eight times. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, the last time I went, it was practically ready but i haven't been since they've been in there and operating but yeah I, I cannot wait to go yeah i went over uh what two two or three weeks ago saw the blips jealous um, finally got the boys a record though <laughs> yes they tell uh, yeah i handed him a tailor and he gave him out on stage so <laughs> he, he was uh, right there but i was like oh cool and put it in there by their amp and took off and you move know? On. so yeah. yeah yeah i was excited to because uh, will and taylor both were on that record but uh Speaking of the blips, uh, Wes, also Terry Holmes. Yep. Uh, Cornelius Chapel. If you are unfamiliar with them, uh, give them a follow on the socials. Keep up with what they have going on because uh, what just happened is the new Terry Holmes and other project that are kind of left of the dial, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be released under O Elegante, and you'll have like the Cornelius Chapel standard from what you, you've come to know about yeah. Cornelius still dropping there and then everything else like Terry Holmes not saying that it's a one-off or it's just different sure and they're going to do those projects under O Elegante huh that's kind of cool kind of neat yeah yeah I, and I, I like that so yeah. and I'm, maybe that'll give me a foot in the door maybe I can get my left of the dial self in there and do some work there you go <laughs> there you go yeah I always love I love how record companies make things uniform um so when you think of a one-off label or a label, the kind of a side project label mm-hmm. for um, for labels, <laughs> um, I kind of hope for like that everything's uniform, like the records. Like you think about Peter Gabriel, everything he releases on his real world all looks the same. When you the Island Records, everything looks the same. When you look at the spine, um, at least on the cassette tapes back in the day, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I love that. I yeah. love the uniformity of it all. I, I'm with, I'm so with that because like you you know it by sight. Yeah, yeah. And like just because of the way it looks. You know who put it out. You know how probably it's going to sound. It's quality, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it all goes back. And I'm not saying that Old Elegante is going to do that, but it all goes back to like those days when we were very loyal to record labels like Wax Tracks Records or Sub Pop Records or you know Megaforce or whoever you were a fan of when you were growing up. When I was growing up, and that was a big thing. You know, you felt like Island Records. If they put it out, I knew it was quality shit. I was mm-hmm. going to get me whatever it was. You know, because it was going Trojan Records was another one of those brand loyal um, kind of things. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And uh, just to plug. Cornelius, once again, man, it's uh, a lot of good uh, people signed and working with that label. You have uh, Janet Sipson, Will Stewart. They come together. They make Timber. Uh, Sarah Lee Langford works with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Blips. Uh, gosh. <laughs> they got a lot of projects. Yeah, they got um, Brian and his band. At least they put out the one record. Mm-hmm. Um 
What is their name? Uh, Dirty Clergy. Dirty Clergy. Dirty there clergy. we go. Sorry, Brian. Who, who, and by the way, uh, working on new music. Yeah. And it's good. With Kai? Kai is playing good, bass. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because I've seen he's been doing his thing, so I didn't know they're if They're finally had... playing live. So okay. Kai and the Heretics, uh, their first live show ever, I play, I was a heretic for that, was last year's Porch Fest. Yeah. And now Kai has put together an entire band, and like their first live show was at the Nick in Birmingham. Right what, a, what a better place. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, a lot of history there, too. Yeah. You know, same stage that the Red Hot Chili Peppers played on at one point, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's always cool. I remember going into the Nick and just like looking up and staring at the ceiling, you know? It's like there, there was just a lull in conversation, or you're waiting for a band to go on, just look at the ceiling, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of pass the time away. I don't know if they still have that on the ceiling there. Been a while. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been in. Because I know they, when I was first started going there, they were putting the fl- uh, flyers on the outside of the wall. And now the city of Birmingham said, no, you can't do that. So it's all covered in staples. So I think there was like a news report from the black and white or something years ago that said the house that Staples built. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Very iconic place. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's going to be... Definitely a dive bar. Yeah. It's got that feel. Uh, friend of the show now, uh, most recent interview I've done was with Josh Williams. He has a band... He's singer-songwriter, kind of folky. Yeah. Uh, Fire Camino. Oh, yes. So yes. they had the had his album release party this past weekend. He booked Taylor Hollingsworth to yeah. be on that bill. Uh, reached out to me through uh, Instagram to see if I would be available to come. It's like, dude, I'd love to, love to be there. And yeah. I was already supposed to be in Birmingham anyway. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And he's like, cool. Uh, I'll let you play a song or two. and. Man, so you lucked out and can hang out with Taylor too. Well, Taylor played with me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you that track. Like, uh, yeah, I, I need to get it mixed because what Josh did that night was he taped a, uh, a field recorder to the ceiling of the venue. Yeah, recorded oh, like wow. that, which I very interesting. That's and cool. It, yeah, it came out pretty good. Huh. That's exactly what you wanted for like a if you wanted to do a live recording. Yeah. And uh, played Georgia, which is on the Porch Talk record. And it was just good to have Taylor Hollingsworth playing on that thing because that is one thing when I think about, like, guitar players. Uh, right when you hear a guitar lick, you know who it is. It's They have an iconic approach to yeah. their instrument. And uh, I, you can close your eyes and just put Taylor on, and I'll be like, 10 seconds in, I know who it is. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like nobody else plays that way. Yeah. And then there are certain people that can sit in with anybody, and Taylor's definitely one of those people, like John Calvin Abney. Yeah. He's one of those guys. Yeah, and I mean, you know, think like Tom Morello has a specific sound. Oh, most definitely. Uh, uh, Steve Vai, uh, SRV. Uh, Angus Young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody, yeah. and like you can even break it down to like what kind of guitar they use. Yeah. And shout out to Southside Customs, uh, Customizes Guitars there in Birmingham. Yeah. Had, had him on the show. Uh, he was actually working on a project for Taylor while I was there. So I got to see the guts of a guitar that uh, maybe Taylor was playing into that night. I don't remember, but it was near done. Wow, cool. So uh, I, I wanted to have him on. He's made guitars for Early James, uh, a lot of guitar players from that area yeah uh lead guitar player for uh like in uh st paul and broken bones oh yeah yeah so yeah they're doing great red clay strays are doing great real proud of the state of alabama and what they're doing with music uh from muscle shows birmingham and mobile alabama they got it cooking yeah and abe partridge down there He's got things cooking, too. Uh, that dude is playing a show, it seems like, every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm going on tour. Just going to go casually go to Virginia and yeah. Kentucky for the night. and be back tomorrow, you know? Yeah. It's like he teleports or something. <laughs> yeah. Because he just has no problem with it. So, man, uh, today, it's been a while since we've just picked apart a specific genre. And this was a genre that I wasn't exactly familiar with. Yeah. We got together. Uh, you shared some... Uh, documentaries and people to listen to how it all started and what I know about this genre rockabilly rockabilly is yes. uh, you gotta have a pompadour <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, turquoise and black uh, dress shirt 
Yeah, not necessarily, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it could be it could be a dirty T-shirt. And uh, it's it's big. Cause you can you can play a an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. A stand up bass is required. Drums not necessary, but nope. encouraged. Yep. And uh, what was it? There was one guy kind of explaining rockabilly, and he was uh, he was something religious connotation he was using toward it. The orthodox version of, of yeah. rockabilly. I mean, because it starts with the with the acoustic guitar and with the bass. I yeah. mean, that's really all you need. A singer. Um, you think about looking back even to when Johnny Cash recorded at Sun Records, Sun Studios, um, he didn't have a drummer. So he took, he had a guitar player, he had a bass player, and it was him. And he took his acoustic guitar and he put a, wove a dollar bill in the strings. And that was the drums, you know? And that's kind of like where, and specifically stand-up bass, like, a yeah. good a good stand up bass player can emulate that perfectly while doing those oh, bass notes. Definitely. I think about this, you know, with dark water tattoos. Oh yeah, very good at that yes. style of play. Yes, he and I talked a lot about rockabilly while he was doing my work on my arms. Um, we That's, talked a lot about psychobilly, punkabilly, because there, yeah. there's so many different subgenres. Yeah, like, was it Euro Billy? I heard about the <laughs> and last night I was watching this documentary and it said Euro Billy. I'd never heard of Euro Billy yeah, ever in my life. Brand you new know? term. You know, there's Texas Swing too, which is a phenomenal genre. If you're into the rockabilly, I mean, pretty much it's just a it's a very Western rockabilly sound with like Wayne the Train Hancock, um, one of my favorites. I've been a fan of his for years. I learned about him through Hank the Third. Um, so check that guy out if you get a chance. Wayne the Train Hancock. Wayne, what a name. Yeah, I love it, man. And, uh, this, a little tiny fella. And and this genre is full of great names for people. And also, oh. like, one thing I didn't I didn't realize, <laughs> yeah. which, I mean, with the pompadour kind of makes sense, but I didn't realize how much Elvis Presley, like, inspired and kind of brought this on. Oh, yeah. And I heard it said, like, through some of the documentaries that I was watching and getting familiar with this genre was... Uh, they were all saying, I wish he would have been allowed to see what he inspired. Yeah, yeah. An entire genre. Yeah, because the original three-piece Elvis band was a rockabilly band. You know, um, to look back at the roots, I mean, a but lot of the roots... Was it, was it even called that at that time, though? No, I mean, it, that, like somebody called it, said it was the pop country of the, of the, the moment, of the time. Um, and I think it's just basically this hillbilly pop music for the 50s, you know? I mean, that's exactly what it was, because that's who was making the music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Johnny Cash starting up, it was also too. I mean, you didn't have for one. I mean, what's the one? I don't know if this is. I mean, I know it's true today, but I don't know if it was. What's the toughest person to find? Toughest band member to find? It's a bass player. A drummer. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it's a drummer. A drummer. Yeah. So I mean, with rockabilly, the way it's originally done, you don't have to worry about having a drummer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, just back to what the guy was saying about like an orthodox rockabilly. Yeah. Not necessary, not even, not even required. No, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, vocals, and stand-up bass. Stand-up bass is kind of like, that's the backbone of a rockabilly mm-hmm. band, I think. And the, I don't remember the name of the bass player, but he's very iconic. Uh, like, when it comes to rockabilly, he would definitely have a star. Uh, but his point was that uh, he was a guy who innovated on bringing the bass player to the front of the stage. Yeah. He said because in that time the bass players would be in the back, you know yeah. where there where there would be a, a sure. drum. Yeah, yeah. I mean you've got some bass players that just kind of stand out. Jeff Fireball is one that I've followed for years. I've seen his uh, his old band Hillbilly Casino many times. He was also in BR Five Four Nine. Um, Jeff Fireball was definitely one of those stand up front. Like, you came to see Jeff Fireball. When you go to see Reverend Horton Heat, you come. Jimbo is one of the reasons you come. Because Jimbo is going to rock the shit out of that bass, you know? Mm-hmm. With the double tap and double slapping, you know? Um, yeah. And let's, let's move into it. So, inspired by Elvis and, like, of not only did it, it took the United States by storm, but, like, there was this... Uh, when these Europeans came over, like specific, specifically from like the UK, yeah, the way they they were dressed, they were dressed like punks, and then but they were there for the rockabilly, and even like rockabilly in the scene, especially in LA, you dressed a certain way, 
And it just so happened that you were also really into cars. And it was it shifted to being taken over by the Latin American community. Yeah. And it was kind of crazy. Like, when I think about, uh, well, who's the guys, Lost Lonely Boys, who sung How yeah. Far Is Heaven? Yeah. And that is kind of inspired by rockabilly. And it's crazy, like, how this these things just spider web out. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I watched the documentary you did. Um, most of my knowledge is just inherent, just like I've just picked it up mm-hmm. over the years being a fan. Yeah. Um, but definitely there was that influence. I mean, just like blues music. And you think about, I've always kind of likened um, rockabilly with blues. You know, the old Delta blues kind of, they did what they had to do to make music, to make that sound that they wanted. That's, that's funny. You like, know, and I mean, it was the same in Europe. I mean, they went crazy for, for yeah. muddy waters and, and all those people over in and Europe. And they were going crazy for those rockabilly. And that was one thing that uh, they were saying. Like, Rockabilly here wouldn't sell any records. But yeah. the one advantage, and this is kind of, times have definitely changed. Like, now it's all about Spotify and working an algorithm online yeah. to get played and get heard. But at that time, when disc jockeys at clubs and on radio stations, they were playing Rockabilly all the time. And so, Rockabilly was huge in Europe, and everybody around here, it was kind of like there were Rockabilly clubs yeah. in specific towns. But over yeah. there, it was like... Muddy Waters and the blues, you know, it was, oh, yeah. it was, it was, it was on fire over there when here was, people was like, mm, pop music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that there's been anything from Europe that America's really gravitated toward, but definitely the rockabilly and the blues music, um, or really American music, I guess, to the world. I don't know why, I guess because it, they're so vast. And so big, but you think about some of those '80s hair bands, those hair metal bands, and those metal bands, huge in Japan. Oh, they love them, you know. Oh, they love. I mean, so and I mean, all of them will tell you. I mean, that was the best place to tour. Kiss, best place to tour was when we go play shows in Japan. And it's so funny, like with their culture, like uh, you know, they they we we operate off honor here. They they work off like shame. And so, like, let's take the Rolling Stones with Keith Richards. He was Mm -hmm. banned from Japan. Because at that time with the Rolling Stones, he was like the face of drug and alcohol. Yeah. And so I was like, wow. Rolling Stones cannot come in and play because of Keith Richards. Yeah. Now, years later, they were allowed in, and all the Japanese reporters, they didn't want to talk to uh, Jagger. <laughs> Mick, yeah, well, what's it like being back in Japan? It's all right. That's all, that's yeah. all he said. You know, he, he wanted to be like real. No, I don't want to say too. I come here, I, I'm smoking a cigarette while I'm doing this yeah. interview. We're about to play a show, and I'm not going to get myself in trouble again because it is good to be back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like Rockabilly, um, it was really cool. There was one part of the, the uh, documentary where it they went to a, a festival in it was Denmark. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Denmark or was it okay. And um, they went to this rockabilly festival, just so unique to see all these kids. I mean, dressed up like they were in Greece, mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. You know? All of them. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, like Greece, 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 the girls with had the, the little skirts on, everything. It's really kind of. Oh, neat. bring it back, baby. I'm, I'm for that time right there. Yeah. And it's crazy, like something how, sexy about that time. Oh, I guess because it really it's just not a bit, not really a thing we've ever been a part of. Yeah, but I mean to think about this, just music. watching the funds. I wouldn't want to be the funds, but I would definitely want. <laughs> I'd want to be his buddy. You know? Yeah, a, yeah. A, a side row. <laughs> and to really know Henry Winkler's story, like he didn't even know how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> looking cool on one. Yeah, no, nah, he never drove one on the show. That's funny. <laughs> So, but yeah, there's something, I don't know, I guess me growing up and I mean, thinking about looking at, at, I was uh, actually on my Instagram feed right now in my stories, there's a video of Lightning Hopkins and he's dressed up. He's got his pant legs rolled up. Looks like he's a rockabilly dude, you know? So blues music and rockabilly, I guess growing up, seeing these guys and knowing their music and, and knowing about their personalities and reading stories. I've always been intrigued and excited. I've never been able to pull off the rockabilly look just because I'm just not a dude that can do it, although I want to. I mean, one, I'm, for one, I'm bald. <laughs> so yeah. I really I can't do a pompadour. Pompadour's out. Yeah, yeah. I can't do a flat top, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it's just not enough on top. Yeah, so. uh, I mean, shout out to the Red Clay Strays. Like, I saw some uh, pictures because he, he kind of rocks a flat top slash 
kind of a pompadour. Yeah. And when I was going through this documentary, he came straight to mind. Like, he does have kind of like the Elvis Presley look or even, like, a lot of these, uh, and no negative connotation on this, but kind of a greaser look. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, greasers, I mean, it's not a bad thing yeah. necessarily. Well, it seems like it kind of, like, with the culture, and this is one thing about rockability, like, it influenced, like, it was, it was a huge subculture in America, and then it was taking Europe by storm. Yeah. And, uh, like, that, it was so funny, like, the way that the girls would describe their men. It's like, yeah, his hair's greased up in the pompadour, and he has his pillow, and I have mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, I mean, I think that's that's part of it. That's It's a it's a look, almost like the hair metal of the 80s, you know. Um, to think about the, and the two people that I think epitomize what, what I think of when I think of rockabilly is a Reverend Horton Heat and Jimbo. They both look the part. They've always had some, whether it's Taz or whoever's behind the drum kit, you know, yeah. never looked a part, you know, long. It looked like you, Taz yeah. did, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, it's just, when I think about it, I think about Jimbo because he's like the greaser. He's the guy you could see. He's got cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve, you know, oh, working yeah. on cars kind of thing, you know. Yeah, that, back that, in the that's 50s. a big part of it. Yeah. And also, like, just, like, let's start from the blues. And so the blues highly influenced, like, most music that we listen to today, whether it be rock and roll to Led yep. Zeppelin or the Stones or to Rockabilly. Yep. And then we could keep spider webbing that out. But oh, yeah. what was funny about these Rockabilly guys was uh, one of them was sharing a story about like sharing a show with Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And they were talking with Robert Plant. And he was like, no, I really, I, I really like uh, uh, Rockabilly. I consider it to be very rock and roll. And he's like, yeah, we don't really consider what y'all do to be rock and roll at all. <laughs> like they were not fans of like what they were doing they yeah. it was like electric guitars and and that was kind of like and i don't want to jump too far ahead but the electric guitar like kind of was the death of like a purist or the orthodox rockabilly sure i guess it could be i mean but to think about it now i mean it's it's along with the bass it's the backbone yeah you know um because you got I don't know. I guess when this, when when it kind of had a resurgence, I don't know at what point it had a resurgence, um, but I think that was kind of he, uh, spearheaded by the Stray Cats, because the Stray Cats are the first band mm-hmm. in modern times. I mean, you had Elvis and Johnny Cash and and um, um, uh, oh my God, Carl, Carl Perkins, Carl Perkins, and people like that, kind of bringing it around in the fifties and sixties, and it kind of had a lull. And then the Stray Cats came out in the 80s. It was like, holy shit. And they blew it up. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing about... And like, took it to the mainstream. That's the thing about rockabilly, whether it's like Folsom Prison Blues or like things yeah. that are very rockabilly, whether or not you think about it that way, like it's going to make you want to move your feet yeah. or it's going to make you want to drive a little bit faster. Like rockabilly, it, it, it really does work so, man. Yeah, it's got that chugga 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 Which one will we go next? Let's go Good People IPA there. Ooh. Oh, hey. <laughs> Getting a little violent with the mics. There we go. Sometimes, um, sometimes I just want to hit you. I've been lucky over the years to have known about Rockabilly, been a fan of Rockabilly, and have been able to see some great shows. Um, Wayne oh. the Train Hancock was a great show I saw in Birmingham one time. What's that? I don't know if I've been to like a, a just a sure enough just rockabilly like I've I've seen shows to where it was inspired by rockabilly but I I wouldn't call it a rockabilly show like maybe the band they had some rockabilly Billy esque kind of songs but yeah. it, it wasn't like true blue rockabilly yeah hmm. and uh, I I would love to I, get you, I, would, yeah. I would love to like go to one of these shows I tell you if you ever get the chance to see the Reverend Horton Heed do so where's he based out of. Do you know? I don't know. Off the top of your head? California now, maybe? That, that's same where the, the scene really, I like... I think they're, they're a Texas band originally, I think, so... Um, yeah. But I'm not positive on that. But that's the story of it. It seemed like, you know, you took Rockabilly, so you took Hillbilly, there's your Billy, yep. and then Rock and Roll, yep. put it together, Rockabilly. But it was like Hillbilly music plus rock. Yep. And the easiest way to explain it, but like it did, it kind of started in Texas, and a lot of people would... Uh, pay reverence to Mississippi because of Elvis Presley, but it did migrate to specifically Los Angeles. Yeah, 
Yeah, and then then you had the branch off, I guess, after the Stray Cats kind of turned things around, and you had other bands coming in around that time. Then it kind of branched off into like Psychobilly and Punkabilly, which Eurobilly, even Eurobilly, <laughs> whatever. The, I still don't even know what the hell that is. I'm trying because the bands they were playing it's like, on is this it just, documentary. It's more of like a location than it, it is like a style. Yeah, it was like uh, that's really not. I mean, any different than what I just heard when you had regular rockabilly. Um, but but you had like what I think is cool. Psychobilly's kind of okay, you know, kind of cool. But punkabilly, because I I grew up a punk rocker. You know, we've had a punk episode that we both still talk about. You know, yeah, um, big influence on why we're doing this. Yeah, now. It's like so when, punk is really kind of my scene. It's like, yeah, it, even even to the way that I, I still dress today. It's yeah, punk. Yeah, and then punkabilly comes out. So you're rockabilly and punk together, which is fantastic and then you get psychobilly which psychobilly is like it's like the misfits meets um rockabilly so it's a little like the horror genre comes into play on psychobilly and some of those bands like demented to go and people like that really cool but i don't i'd rather i'd take the reverend horton heat all day yeah and i, I can't uh we're talking about just like music purists and i believe like a purist in any sense just ruins it for everyone else, but uh, was talking about metal this weekend. Yeah, and you know they stopped liking Metallica. You know it was anything before the Black Album. Yeah, and yeah. then like they would be into the Misfits, even though it wasn't technically metal, but it was it had that kind of horror. Yeah, and then like when you think about like metal genre, I mean you got black metal, dark metal, and all kind of metal. And like they wouldn't listen to No FX, you know, which is pretty good music. And yeah. like they were very peculiar about who they listened to because uh, that would that would influence like to the group like you're not a purist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let me go back and, and total total jump off side prod or side note on that. One of the best quotes ever comes from Jason Newstead, former bass player for Metallica, mm-hmm. um, when. The Black Album came out. Everybody labeled them as sellouts. He goes, yeah, we're sellouts. We sell out every venue every night. <laughs> that was one of the best quotes about music ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because props to them. And they just put out a killer record, you know? Yeah. Um, still making music to this day. But yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. I get off yeah. on a tangent no, there. No, you, that's perfect. You mentioned that. I'm it, a huge Metallica fan. Yeah. I but like there the is a point where I'm kind of like, mm. there's about three albums in there. There are four albums that I'm like, eh, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. But BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Everything before that, everything after that. Yeah. You know, everything Robert Trujillo on is... What's kind of like Red Hot Chili Peppers for me is like anything with John Frusciante. Yes. I'm a huge fan of. Now, those records without him... I'll listen to. Sure. But yeah. Their worst album is the one that David Navarro was on. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even going to name that album. Josh <laughs> Klinghoffer, he was a great guitar player. Arik Marshall. I mean, I Chili uh, Peppers fan. There was two bands in history that I've been a part of their fan club, and that's a band called Fetchin' Bones out of Charlotte, North Carolina, which they're no longer, and then the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I actually saw those two together. In Birmingham before. Shout out to Brother Cobb, like, uh, and I, I like it when people do this. Is and I don't know if they're trolling or if they're like, I do like a good book on top of the toilet. Yeah. And on top of that toilet, he has scar tissue. Oh, cool. Which uh, Kedis, like that actually is a pretty good book. Yeah. Oh, I've it, got it. You know, I've it's an autobiography. The opening story 
is one of the best stories. Like it'll keep you once you get there. The yeah. very first story he tells about going on a drug deal and man, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. And I still have uh, Dave Grohl's book. I got two years ago for Christmas, year and a half ago. Yeah, I still have not read most of it. I need to. I heard that's an equally good biography, but uh, but we're we're way off our of rockabilly. Way now. off rockabilly. Yeah, but, but uh, of course the beer's flowing. We're into the good people IPA now. Which, in my opinion, is one of the best single IPAs. Um, I would put Good People IPA, Trim Tab IPA, up against the the Moonlighter and Lamplighter from from uh, Ooh. which you know is my favorite. Druid IPA. City, yeah, yes. Um, but yeah, the Good People and Trim Tabs IPA. Yeah, and you, you gotta songs. love you gotta love the logo. It's like give me that natural light look. <laughs> but uh it's just it's real it's, pure it's to what simple. it is you know yeah it's it's changed a few times over the years but uh is what it is what what's the uh alcohol it's like six percent well, or let's something let's find it six something you have better eyesight than i have i don't have my old man readers on oh i wonder we ran into this with some I, because it's distributed to mississippi i don't think they're allowed to put how uh potent it is for whatever reason it tells you what temperature to drink it at. No, that's not that's not the case because there are tons that uh, are distributed to Mississippi that have it on there. But I do not see it on yeah, here. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's a solid freaking. I mean, if you ever get a chance to, um, it's good to see good people where they are right now, as far as a because they have they've built that place up to a damn. It's like a luxurious Taj Mahal of beer places. You know, it's really cool yeah. what they've done out there. I mean... Right across from Regions Park. And thank God, like, most of our... Thank God. Uh, most of our restaurants here in town, though, I know Zachary's, uh, even Monson's, uh, I think Huck's, like, most pl- uh Princess, most places around here are beginning to carry good people. So, yep. like, Shout out to these restaurants well, for having get, good taste. Yeah, I can get at the Chevron too. Well, shout out to the beer distributors for having somebody yeah. in there that knows something about craft beer and is like, hey, let's give the people what they want. Because the state of Mississippi is definitely not. Um, you know, the ABV is still very low. I mean, they don't have an influx of craft beer. Like, it's not easy for a company to get their beer into Mississippi. You know, that's why there's still so much. You can go to Alabama. There's a lot of red tape, man. Yeah, you can go to Alabama right now and get 500 different breweries beer and that you cannot get here in the state of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy, I think, you know. It really is. Well, once you get rid of the, the old rich money, um, I think you'll be okay. I mean, <laughs> the state will probably open up, but until we can do that. Then yeah. <laughs> I wonder if I'll still be around when that happens. Yeah, you know? yeah, we're going to be as – because it was, it was funny growing up, you know, growing up being in Mississippi and then moving to Alabama and living there for so long – it was always something because Mississippi and Alabama were the last in everything. And now Alabama, really beer, good, beer really, wise, really beer good wise, on beer, beer wise, <laughs> they have some things that yeah. they are, the, they, they, they did create Jeff Sessions, you know? So, I mean, there are certain things about um, Alabama and beer. Definitely. They're way ahead of the curve. Yeah. Mississippi is the old, the old I'm white to, guy state. Trying to remember the uh, previous guy. No, that's wrong. I don't remember. Before K. Ivy. Uh, Robert, was it Robert? Uh, uh, yeah, he was, the, he was a chiropractor or something. Whatever, you know, but yeah. like because of him, like uh, the governor of Alabama no longer has the power to uh, exonerate or pardon anyone because Jeff Sessions, it was Sessions. Yeah. It was Sessions. Yeah. Uh, because they thought that he was going to pardon himself on his way out to where they just stripped that power away completely. Which I think, like, there was a story, and I don't want to get back to Rockabilly, but uh, there was the story that happened out of Huntsville to where um, uh, cops were called out to this location, and uh, the cop that answered the call didn't go procedural uh, with how it was supposed to be, like, entered the home. And the person, they were called because it was a domestic case. He was crazy, threatening with a gun. And you're not supposed to step foot in that property. Like, everything needs to be coming on the outside. Nothing, you don't need to put yourself in danger by going inside. But for whatever reason, that person decided to go inside. Now, uh, another cop showed up who had field experience, showed up, saw that 
everything was awry, had to go inside, and the civilian lost his life that day, and now that cop is on death row. That's or, not the— Practically. Sounds a lot like the Breonna Taylor case. Very close to that situation. Okay. okay. Very close to okay, that situation. Okay, I was sure Tor- that- But, like, uh, and that cop's wife is also a cop, and, like, I was listening to the story because it struck me. I was like, what an interesting case. Yeah. And, like, he needs to be pardoned. And they was like, well, the thing about it, the governor of Alabama can no longer pardon because of Sessions. And, like, case laid out, but they cannot get get a court to hear it. Mm. And I think eventually it's going to go to the Supreme Court. But anyway, let's get back to Rockabilly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I had to make sure, too. And I I butchered that story. For for some reason, whenever I said Brianna Taylor, I thought, wait a minute, is Taylor her last name? Please tell me that I didn't just say that wrong, but it, it is. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> so back to rockabilly. Um, we were breaking down the sub sub genres. Yeah, psycho sub genres. Punk really. Look at you get, getting us all sloshed up yeah. over here, good people. Yeah, and then we were talking about, um, and we had talked earlier about the Texas swing. Um, really, it's like I heard somebody. I think it was um, B.J. Barham from American Aquarium. Um, maybe not. I don't, I don't shit. I don't know. Um, but they were talking about the Americana umbrella, you know, um, and then how vast it is, and does it really need to be a thing? What is Americana? I mean, what? I mean, rockabilly. Mm-hmm. It's a sound, so you can put a name on it if you want to. You can put genres and all this other shit, but it's all got the same backbone. It's all got the same basis. Um, the same basest. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all got the stand up. I see what I did there, and that's the um, most that's that's the most important part. Yeah, that's yeah. the key to the formula. Yeah. So I mean, just I mean, for anybody just kind of getting into it, going into it, I mean, just search for Rockabilly on uh, Spotify or or mm-hmm. you, you can do it on your uh, Amazon music things and just tell it to play rockabilly and just give it a listen and see what comes up first you know um i did it uh, the other day i just said hey you know play rockabilly and one some some you what i did it today yeah some 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 randomness came up and then the hillbilly hellcats came up which i love (laughs) and those guys it was a song called hill the song called hillbilly hellcat everything that i know about rockabilly is like directly because of you and this yeah, like uh, and like the psychobilly stuff. It, oh, he totally yeah, knows he, all he, that. He, he, he is he is all in there. Like, yeah, when we hang out, that's what we listen to. Yeah, and I'm like, thank you for sharing, man. I, like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't even know like this was a thing, you know. Thank yeah. you so much. Yep. But like rockabilly, especially uh, most most everything I know is like directly because of you and like just, <laughs> just the songs that you've shared or like bands. But like, look this up when you get home, dude. Yeah. Oh <laughs> man. Yeah. It's just been. I don't know. There's something that just kind of. Um, very organic and um, original about rockabilly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not. There's no. There's no overproduction. You that know? is another thing that I like about it. Yeah. It's, it's very one shot, just like this. Yeah. We got the mic set up. Let's run do it. it. It's just like the blues, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, there's a hundred other genres. I'm sure that you can say do the same thing. But I think rockabilly has always remained at its roots what it what it started out as being. Um, and I like the fact that there is, for the most part, I like the fact that there is a look. It kind of goes back to the way we were talking earlier about record labels and how the, you know all the spines used to be the same on Island Records. I mean, that's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I like that uniformity of you can tell when looking at these guys with a stand-up bass and the sleeves rolled up on their on their straight button up shirts you know it's like mm-hmm. yes it, it would go so far to where the, the way that the girls would dress when they went to the mall you could tell that they were in the rockabilly yeah, yeah or even the way like these guys were working on cars and the way that they were wearing their shirts they're going to be at a rockabilly bar that night oh, yeah. you oh, know yeah. it, it was such a huge subculture and like man I, I would love to live in a place to where like you know like you said i like i probably couldn't pull the hairstyle off yeah i could i could probably get close and dress the part yeah, I'd have to do something with the hair, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I would probably be better if, like, maybe the the uh, the the 
mechanic coveralls, you know, <laughs> the one piece yeah. zip straight up the front. That'd probably be more me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with some patent leather shoes. And it's crazy too. Like, and and to the car scene, and this goes back to the 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 Latin aspect of it that was picked up later in L.A. Was like they weren't into like your Honda or Toyota. Like they were very into, into like, the Impalas in the fifties and Ford and yeah, like. All that, and like they were very into like keeping them pristine, yeah. keeping them worked up, and like everything about that culture was like it was so precise. It seemed yeah. like I mean, you, 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 you've hit on something. I mean, because the it directly influenced, I would say, in a sense, the low rider culture, yes, yeah, yes. Um, when that all became a thing, I think that was what 80s, 90s, um, when it really became and a big all thing. My friends, that's uh, war, mm-hmm. name of that band, yeah. Um, Shout out to Days and Confused. And everybody will see you. You're younger than me. I remember the um, Cheech and Chong up in smoke. <laughs> That's where the low rider comes in for me, you know, because mm-hmm. they're riding around a low rider and like, hey, man, you know, that's Led Zeppelin. Ooh, wee. Oh, know? that's about spot on. This is Labrador, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, Labrador? Labrador? Yeah, my old man. It'd be Followed him around with a baggie for three days. And they finally shit it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, gosh! Man. Yeah, yeah. But days of confusion, whatever. However, yeah. you got to the to the um, the low rider culture. I mean, it was big here in, in Mississippi in the eighties when I was growing up in the nineties. Um, low rider trucks. It was never growing like, up in rural Alabama. Yeah, never a thing. Never a thing. Yeah. Like uh, we we had a few guys that were in kind of like those ricer cars. But for the most part, everybody was into a jacked-up truck with the shotgun hanging off the bag of glass. Okay. And, you know, and that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my crew, we were just into whatever drove because we just needed to get us places. We didn't care. Same thing. It was like, you got a car, let's go. Yeah, could, could we cover it in skate stickers? That was our thing, you know. Because um, I had my first, I was a Datsun 210 hatchback. Um, not the bumblebee wheels with the whatever, the honeycomb or whatever wheels. But, yeah, I mean, the whole back glass was nothing but skate. I had, like, one spot where I could see out of it in case it got pulled over. But um, <laughs> um, but low-rider trucks were a big thing here. But Rockabilly def- definitely um, influenced. And, I mean, you can see a lot of times a lot of those people who are representing those cars and making those cars jump and bounce, they got their sleeves rolled up on their T-shirts. They got their, you know, their pants rolled up at the bottom. So. Mm-hmm. And it became like something, and, and it became something generational. Like uh, as that documentary, it was specifically about uh, rockabilly in L.A. Yeah, and it became a generational thing to where, well, I do it because my dad did it, and the legacy will continue. And yeah. it's crazy because like I don't, with the exception of the blues, I don't know another subculture that was inspired by music to where it had that kind of like cultural phenomenon to where like. I dress this way. I look this way. I'm a mechanic, and this is this is the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in some ways, I guess you could say punk was a lot like that, um, but punk is not as acceptable. Um, well, I mean, that was the point of punk. <laughs> sure, exactly. You're counterculture. <laughs> exactly. Counterculture. I forget about that that uh, that description. That word, counterculture. Mm-hmm. Um. Man, I don't know. I, mean, I think if I could go back in time and be a musician, I would either be as badass as Lydon Hopkins or I would be as badass as, as Jimbo from Reverend Horton Heat and play that stand-up bass or Jeff Fireball. Boy, I mean, <laughs> shout out to Jimbo, dude. He is like really the front man. Like with those documentaries, like right when I saw him, I was like, that is the man. Yeah. Like, he, he was living and breathing the part. Yeah. And, I mean, if you ever look at, at the uh, Jim Heath is the Reverend Horton Heath. Um, if you ever look at Jim, I mean, he embodies it. Even when he's not, I mean, that's just the way he dresses every day. He didn't go out and go, oh, I need to look, look for something a little more rockabilly. He goes, oh, no, that's my style right there. I'm getting that. You know, he puts it on. <laughs> you don't think about it. It's just who they are. They look, they even look pale like we're looking at a, 50s teen magazine. You know? I mean, when they were interviewing these people who were a part of this culture in L.A., I mean, like, that is what they live for. Yeah. It was that L.A. nightlife to be at that rockabilly club. Yeah. And it was like, we're in the dancing, we're in the music, 
and we're into the booze. Mm-hmm. And all three of those things. <laughs> it's yep. all inclusive. Some liquor, beer, and wine. That's it. To quote uh, the Reverend Horton. <laughs> and so, like, I, I did want to like pull up just and do a little roll call. Like, well, let me do. Let me do a shout out to one of the coolest names in rockabilly history. Mm-hmm. And that would be I can't remember his first name now. Smokey. That wasn't it. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, we were just actually talking about this. Yeah, before we got running. You want me to name, go ahead, go ahead, name yeah. some off? All right, so, like, I think about Jerry Lee Lewis, Eddie Cochran, Alice Leslie, uh, Johnny Cash, Janice Martin, Billy Poor, Sparky Moore, Marlon Grissom, Robert Gordon, Johnny Dollar, and even John- Buddy Guy. Yeah, Johnny Dollar. I don't know that name. I've never Billy heard that Crash name Craddock? Yes, I've heard of him. Link Ray. We can't get out of here without mentioning Link Link Ray. And then, again, one of the coolest names is Groovy Joe Poovy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How cool is that name? Sending it. And what is it, Smokey LaBeef? Rudy Tootie Grazel. (laughs) Rudy Tootie Grazel. Here he is right here. I'm looking on my phone. I think it's Smokey LaBeef. <laughs> that right there. You know I'm saying, is, like, I mean, just, I want like that to be my stage name. Yeah. LaBeef be my last name. <laughs> <laughs> just like Sleepy, Sleepy you know, LaBeef. Like, boys and girls, like whether you're watching or listening, like just pull up like rockabilly legends, and like you'll see one thing in common. They all look the same. Like all the guys look one way, and all the girls look one yeah. way. Some may look a little more western. Yeah. Um, and then I say, if you're ever going to learn about a rockabilly guitar player that probably tells you everything you need to know about the genre, just go and listen to early Elvis stuff mm-hmm. and Scotty Moore. Scotty Moore, without a doubt, he is rockabilly. His sound was the rockabilly sound. Yeah. Like everybody who learned how to play guitar and was in a rockabilly band. They listen to what is it? Train, train. You know, they listen to that. And stuff. E- even the vocal style, like the way you would sing it, it was the, it was <laughs> like the Buddy Holly hiccup thing. Yeah, very. Yeah, Buddy Holly is a yeah. good a good plug. Yes. Very specific to the style and genre of it, like the way the guitar was played, the way the bass was played, like everything was very curtailed toward. Like yeah. this is what rockabilly is. Yeah, and anything outside of that isn't. <laughs> yeah. I think you and I have talked. I'm going to quiz you again. Do you remember who Buddy Holly's guitar player was? No, I do not. Waylon Jennings. How about them apples? They were. And by the way, he had a pompadour for a time. Yes, they were best friends. At one point, do you know the whole story around the night, the, the day the music died? No. Um, Buddy Holly was sick. Um, I guess there somehow they had picked who was we going have to, done the story. Who's supposed back. to go on the plane? Waylon was supposed to be on the plane. And he didn't. He, he said, you go ahead and get on the plane um, because you need to get to where we're going quicker than I do. I'll take the car. Mm-hmm. And then he said, um, yeah, I hope your car crashes. And then Waylon said, well, I hope your plane crashes. And this plane crashed. So, you know, he had to live with that the rest of his life. But uh, but Waylon Jennings, I mean, you can even look at some of those those 80 country, 80s country stars. I mean, Johnny Cash being the main one, the first one that comes to mind. A lot of them... That's where this the backbone of that hillbilly music. That's where they came from. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all of the Grand Ole Opry people. You think about that bluegrass lean that that say, um, um, oh, what's the guitar player that was on the hee haw? He had a red, white, and blue guitar. Buck Owens was one of them, and that was a whole California sound. But then you had the other fella. <laughs> I'm pulling it Thank up. you, good people. Your IPA. Taking my memory. Clark. Clark was his last name. Roy Clark. Roy Clark. There we Roy go. Roy Clark. I was like, I know I can see him in my clearly. And now we are on our way out with the last beer. We have a crowd control. Crowd so control. So pro, baby. Eight percenter. Yeah. Potent. This is a double IPA. Gonna out put of, us under. Out of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. 
Shout out to Hattiesburg, Southern Prohibition. They be doing some good yeah, brewing. So pro be doing some great brewing. And they've changed the can again, I'm just realizing. They they like a new artwork. It's a lot less chaotic than the last ones. Because there was a time, I don't know, I guess they get different people to do the artwork. They do. Um, because like the PBR thing. Because like. the Fire Ant last time from SoPro was some of the best artwork ever. The whole ant mound with the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and while we're talking about crowd control, so pro, I do want to tell everyone www.manscape.com. Manscape. Porch talk, all one word. That'll get you 20% off at checkout. I tell you, um, it has changed my grooming habits. I used to dread having to do all my grooming stuff. No, don't. Don't want Manscaped. Plus, the other day, I was sitting, because I wear patchouli. I don't wear cologne. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, damn, somebody, I forget where I was, like, somebody here smells really good. It was you. It was like, that's my, that's my, what is it called? The ball, whatever. (laughs) That's that ball. Yeah, the ball deodorant. (laughs) Oh, oh my God. I I think they call it the crop reviver. The crop reviver. There you go. Man, I was smelling, I was like, damn, that smells good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I thought it was somebody else in the room, but it Mm -hmm. was me the whole time. Dude, I I was. uh, So shout out, shout out to the crop. Guess it, guess it on a recent prod, uh, podcast. If I can talk, thank you, good people. But uh, and so pro <laughs> and so pro of, and we were talking about like manscaped and like just like like you said, it took grooming to like another level for me to where I wasn't dreading it anymore. It was like I, I don't mind the the facial aspect of it. I don't mind the downstairs. It's like everything is easy. It's well done. It's easy to do. It's safe. Like yeah. ain't ain't nothing worse than nicking a ball. Oh, for real. I mean, their razor's second to none. I've never had any that do such a thorough job so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, even the underwear. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Gu- I'm guilty of busting that thing out like two days in a row. <laughs> I'm guilty. Oh, man. Over the weekend? <laughs> Shit, three days in a row. Yeah. We're at work on Friday. <laughs> no, that's really, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, yeah, they are comfortable. <laughs> well, well the, I mean, as long as you got the ball deodorant on, you good. You truly are. You ain't got to worry about that dank. No. And, we, hey, and, look, springtime's coming, summertime's around the corner. What are you doing out there, people? It's like, take care of yourself, ladies, if you got a man in your life. He ain't manscaped up. Go to www.manscaped.com. 20% off and use promo code Porch Talk, all one word. And I, I'm telling you, it's uh, you look forward to shaving instead of like crap. Yes. I mean, look how handsome we are. Come on, let's show them. Look at me. Look at the blue light from the computer. Look yeah, I mean, even my head. Manscaped right there. He's he's man all the yep. way escaped. Yep, I'm escaped completely all the way to my toes. What more do you want, people? So, really, not to my toes. I haven't manscaped my legs yet. How did we do on Rockabilly as we walked this thing out? I mean, I, I we'd have to ask the 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 crowd. Is there is there anything else that uh, we failed to mention? Like my my main point is like I believe it inspired uh, new genres just as the blues inspire genres. Uh, but I am definitely like hungry. Like when I got through walk, watching those documentaries. It made me want to pick up my guitar and like learn how to play that way. I was like, I was yeah. so inundated with it. I was like, oh man, this is this is the way. This is this is the future, you know. Yeah. So I'm gonna say this, and I I don't want anybody who doesn't like country music to get turned off, but it is as much. It's it's as as music as bluegrass is to country. It's as much to country. I mean, I think that that out of Every genre that led up to country music or led up to rock and roll, um, rockabilly probably gets forgotten or is the least thought about. It doesn't sell records. Like I, I have, mean, I mean th- these guys like I have bought a many a rockabilly record. So, but I'm one person out of millions. That, and that's what I was going to yeah. say is like these rockabilly bands, like the labels or like whoever would believe in them enough, they would only cut like five hundred. And yeah. they would be good to sell that many. 
I mean that that is how tight it was in in like the culture. It was subculture of subculture. It was like just there was just a group of people that knew about it. I mean, like yeah, but 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 when you think about it, the way things started out when Elvis became a thing and Johnny Cash became a thing and Carl Perkins was out there making music, it was really it was the pop music of the time. And they didn't even know what to call it then. Yes, but then it kind of faded when all these other mm-hmm. things popped up. When rock and roll became a thing and country music became its own separate thing, it broke away from rockabilly and country music or, or rock and roll and country music kind of broke away from rockabilly you know mm-hmm. um so but definitely check it out i mean really just go to rockabilly if you're into the younger stuff just check out early elvis early johnny cash if you're into like newer sounding stuff definitely look into the reverend horton heat look into um the hillbilly hellcats look into um hillbilly casino um if you're into some subgenre shit Want to go some punkabilly route or demented ago? Um, I cannot remember as like drawing a blank for the other, but, but there's plenty of ways you can go. Yeah, and I mean necromantics. That was the other band I was trying to think of. And Spotify can really help you. With yes, that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and whatever Amazon Music app, whatever app you use, I mean it'll point you in the right direction. But uh, this was an episode that uh, I've been looking forward to doing yes. for some time to really uh, spotlight rockabilly. Like you and I love talking about uh, local. I mean we. Third honorary chair to Taylor Hollingsworth. Yep. Love, love talk about the local sh- uh, scene. Shout out to the Harder Roads. Of, uh, I'm such a huge fan of everything that we have going on in Alabama, Mississippi. But as like a, a genre that I just really got fired up about through like listening to these kind of style of bands, watching these documentaries. I'm it will fire you up to want to go to a p- rockabilly show. There you go, Link Ray. That's it. I'll leave it there. W-R-A-Y. Well, dude, anything else to do before we walk around the show? Anything you want to plug? Cheers. Nope. Indies Only is gone, but look forward to uh, something else in the near future. I like the way you're talking. Yep. I'm working on some shit in my brain. In my sad, traumatic brain injury brain, I'm working on some stuff. Oh, he's going to be in there cooking. Yeah, you something. just wait. Something. <laughs> just hold on, boys and girls. Roll tight. Ooh. Ended on the roll tight. Peace out.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.